Every morning, at the kilns, C.S. Lewis would write back to his pen pals. From the screw tape letters to the Chronicles of Narnia, Lewis had fans of all ages and from all over the world. He would write back to them diligently. Keeping correspondence with them was important to him, and he loved to receive the various artwork, ideas, and criticisms his fans had to share with him. What would Lewis think of the fandom now? At the time, fandoms were not widely known to exist, except perhaps a support for the Sherlock Holmes series, which is the first modern fandom. Hi, I'm Dolly Daydreamer, and this is Nerds for Narnia. This is the very first episode, and I'm so excited to share this with you. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on where the Narnian fandom is now, and how it has evolved to where it stands today. I hope you enjoy it. For Lewis, receiving letters and speaking at conferences for his work was the norm. But would he have been surprised to know the size and versatility of his fans of Narnia today? The Narnian fandom has an interesting history. As always, in fandoms that are created as a community around a book series or author, there is contention between fans who are more book-loving and fans who have crossed over thanks to the adaptions. I think, as an Arnian fan, a person can enjoy a spectrum of things, as well as the variants of adaptions that have cropped up over time. But I don't think the fandom should be able to gatekeep to the select members who've read the books this many amount of times. Still, the rise of the internet has definitely impacted how fans have communicated, supported one another's interests and ideas, and have divided over various aspects of the community. Let's travel back to 1994. A bit of a while ago. At the time, there were no major Narnia networks up and running, and a man named John Visser opened up the very first one. On IntoTheWardrobe.com, you can find an archived forum and essays written by other Narnian fans, the former being the most interesting to me. It's heartening to know that the community was budding so early, alongside the rise of the internet, and to see where Narnian fans have evolved to just adds to it. I'd assume that since the website forum closed in 2010, most users are either millennial or older, and I can see the appeal. Over the past few days, I've created a timeline of the Narnian fandom history, with some significant fan sites included. Of course, it's incomplete, but I think it's really interesting to see where the fandom has evolved in some places or budded after certain adaptions, and where it is today in a sort of steady decline slash um, a bit of an upcline in some patches. It's a little bit complicated, but if you're interested, check the description of this episode and you'll see a link to the PDF which I've um, uploaded. But let's go through it. Let's travel back in time through Narnian fandom history and see the milestones of the Narnian fandom. The first marker is 1956, where Last Battle is published for the very first time. Now, this is significant because the chronological order for reading the series is actually suggested by a fan named Lewis. I'm sorry, Lawrence. And Lewis agrees to this chronological order. Subsequently, the series is published as Magician's Nephew, Lounge in the Wardrobe, Horse and His Boy, Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Trader, Silver Chair, and Last Battle. In 1963, C.S. Lewis passes away on November 22nd. 
and in 1968, a televised and black and white series in Lodge in the Wardrobe airs. Now, this is significant because this is the very first adaption of Lodge in the Wardrobe, as well as any adaption of the series. And some fans actually remember watching this in their childhood, which is so interesting to me. And the fact that this is the very first adaption of the series that they see will definitely impact how they view the fandom, um, how they view the books, and how they view later fans who come in watching other movies or adaptions. And in 1979, an animated adaption of The Lion to the Wardrobe, cartoon style, airs on British TV. And I find this adaption so hilarious. I love it. Um, and if you haven't checked it all out already, please do. The characters are well made. Um, and it's just so interesting. Uh, you can really see the 1970s in this adaption, I think. It's a bit retro. I love it. In 1985, Letters to Children is published by Douglas Gresham. Now, this is a book um, containing many letters, some correspondence that Lewis had with his fans. Definitely not the entire thing, just maybe a quarter of the letters that he had published, um, I'm sorry, had uh, sent to fans. And uh, it's very interesting to read through. A very good book to read, not very long, about 120 pages. And um, the most interesting part would be the long-running correspondence he had with fans all the way back from when, I think, Silver Chair was published. So Last Battle hadn't even been out yet. Um, and he had kept this up even the few months before his death, uh, when it was hard for him to write the letters back. And this truly shows the dedication that Lewis had to his fans and the respect he had for his child readers. He never put them down or... Um, in any way mocked their ideas. He always welcomely, sorry, warmly welcomed them. And that truly warms my heart. And I wish I could have written a letter to Lewis um, back then, if I could have. And in 1988, BBC airs the very famous Lounge in the Wardrobe, well, at least in the fandom, Lounge in the Wardrobe, and from then on, from 1988 to 1990, we get Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Trader, Silver Chair. Fortunately, we don't get Magician's Nephew, Horse and His Boy, or Last Battle, but we'll take what we get. Um, and these are great episodic um, series. <clears throat> this is a great episodic series. And what I wanted to note here is how most... I'd say the majority of the like older Narnian fandom, which grew around the older fan sites and not social media sites, marks BBC as their first adaptation adaptation um, input into the fandom. So I find that really interesting because I'd say that because some fans have their first introduction into adaptations being BBC, they may prefer an episodic series kind of a thing to the book series rather than standalone movies or movie franchise. And that definitely um, adds to the fact that many fans are gearing up for the new Netflix adaptions, which may come out at some point, which are going to be sort of an episodic series rather than a movie series or a continuation of the movie series where it was left off. 
Now, next up, in 1994, we have Into the Wardrobe, which is produced by John Visser, the very first Narnian and fan-made website. And on June 30th, the very first Narnian internet forum is open to members on the website, um, on Into the Wardrobe. So this was the very first time that the internet had opened itself to the community, or the community had opened itself to the internet. And you'll see that it brings many different people. Um, I'd say a bit of an extremism on each sides of the fandom, uh, from book fans only, to fans that are open to newer adaptions, to fans that only like the adaptions that came out. So it definitely brings in a spectrum of fans into the series and just into discussion with other fans. So that'll definitely impact how the community divides what will become the main points of, I'd say, like the tectonic plate lines, the fault lines of the community. So that'll very be very interesting to discuss how these internet forums opened up that discussion into two broader populations, or whoever was able to access the internet at that point. And on June 30th, the first Narnian internet forum... Oh, I apologize. I went back. In 2003, NarnianFans.com, a fan site, launches on December 1st with the included discussion forum Dancing Lawn. This is very interesting because NarnianFans.com becomes one of the more significant players in terms of uh, fandom fan sites in the Narnia for a uh, fan as one of the more significant players uh, which is a fan site in the Narnian fandom and that launches on December 1st um, in 2003 and we are followed by Narnia web which is another Narnian fan site founded by Tyrion in November which is a month before that in 2004, NarnianFans.com is completely functional by New Year's Day, and The Stone Table, a Narnian discussion forum, opens to members. Stone Table, <laughs> I, whoever remembers The Stone Table is a real OG, I gotta say. Stone Table is absolutely stunning. If you look to see the structure um, and what it looked like before, if you get a chance to check that out on the Wayback Machine, I highly recommend it. It is beautiful. I love the logo, I love the, the structure of the webpage, and it was so 2004, <laughs> you know, um, and I miss it. I miss the discussion forum, and I wish there was more pages um, that were archived, because I'd love to see more of the discussion, um, especially on such a beautiful website. Uh, and I've spoken to a few members who had been on the stone table, and they told me that what they loved the most about it was how casual it was. How casual just popping in and just meeting friends. Because at this time, it was kind of established that um, coming onto a Narnian forum meant that you would see members that from other Narnian forums. Because as you know, the, the community isn't very big. Um, definitely not as big as the Harry Potter fandom. But what I mean is you'd be able to see friends from other forums, from other fan sites. So it was definitely heartwarming to see that. So the Stone Table, um, also another member, I would say, uh, also I would say that 
Another hallmark of the stone table would be the design structure, which I mentioned before, but it's truly something that you wouldn't see today. Um, it had a very unique design. 2005. This is a hallmark year for the fandom. Disney and Walden co-produced the Chronicles of Narnia, Lunge, and the Wardrobe, also by Douglas Gresham. Narnia Web is nominated for the best movie fan site at movies.com. Le Monde de Narnia, a French Narnian fan site, opens its doors and it includes a forum. On Wiki Narnia, the first page was published on December 4th. So, a lot of things going on in 2005. Definitely a hallmark year for the Narnian fandom. Very interesting year um, and a very a bit of a tumultuous year. I mean, with the uh, opening of the first movie in the movie franchise, which is Lunch in the Wardrobe, a whole wave of fans was introduced to the book series, um, I, yes, to the book series, to past adaptions, to the characters, and they fell in love. So it was definitely a huge wash of fandoms, and I know digging through the forums of other Narnian fan sites that some of the members were ready for the new horde of fans. They were prepared. And I find that so interesting. And of course, Narnia Web is acknowledged for being the incredible fan site it is um, in 2005. And in other ways, the fandom was being recognized. On Wiki Narnia, it was being recognized for um, being what it was. And personally, as someone who had been introduced to the fandom, um, this may be controversial, through the movies and not the book series first, um, I just find it so interesting that 2005 was the beginning step, uh, or 2005 was when the fandom was being acknowledged, um, and not what I would have thought before this research was that, like, it would have been more earlier, like, around Dawn Treater was released as the movie, um, and not 2005. So this really puts me back, because as someone who... Uh, was introduced by the movies, I never realized the the true archive of information, the lore, everything that was before 2005, much before. There was so much going on. And I just wanted to say that um, most people who came into the fandom at this time were either millennial um, or younger. Well, of course, they can't be Gen Z, because Gen Z would be very young, but um, much, a much younger demographic, I'd say, who'd grown up with the fandom in their teens rather than exploring it maybe as an adult. Um, but those were just my assumptions. And in 2006, Narnia News in a Nutshell, a podcast affiliated with Narnia Web, is uploaded onto streaming services, and its first episode is on February 6th. I find that very endearing. Um, the name, I love the name, and uh, half of me wishes the, uh, the name wasn't changed to Narnia Web, although I love that name too. Narnia News in a nutshell sounds like a podcast that Pattertwig would make, or, or some of the other talking beasts during the Talmarine rate, um, the Talmarine age, when they're all hiding from the Talmarines in the forest, something to pass the time, um, something that Pattertwig did. I just love it. <laughs> Um, and then in 2008, we have Disney and Walden Media produce, produce the sequel, 
the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. And that was truly a hallmark moment, I'd say. 2005, 2008, 1994, all these years. Wait, is there really a connection, a pattern of how many years have passed? I don't think so. But anyway, LionCon is also held in June of that year at Biola University in Southern California. Now, I wasn't able to find much information on LionCon. Um, I'll probably make an episode in the future about Narnian conventions, but um, I would say that at the moment I don't have any more information about that. 2010, Fox 2000 and Walden Media produce a third movie in the franchise, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Traitor. Now, this was the very last movie produced in the franchise. As of now, 2021, there is no Silver Chair, there is no Last Battle, there is no Magician's Nephew or Orson is Boy, and that is, um, for me personally, that's really sad. Uh, but this was the very last movie produced in the franchise, and I'd say, um, maybe Voyage of the Dawn Trader kind of cemented the ideas of fans who were more book fans and or BBC fans who saw the rise of these movies and their commercial success as a sort of not entirely genuine with the lines of the book. Um, Prince Caspian kind of started that ideas, uh, kind of started that idea with the way it kind of swerved away a bit with various plot lines um, away from the books. But Voyage of the Dawn Trader truly cemented that idea in the fans' minds and maybe made them wish for an entirely new series started up from the beginning. And Into the Wardrobes online forum closes in 2010, but it is archived for public viewing, so I'd highly suggest going on to intothewardrobe.com and checking that out. Now we are in 2012. The Stone Tables online forum closes, but limited pages are available for viewing on the Wayback Machine, which I'd also recommend checking out. In 2013, NarniaCast, which is affiliated with NarniaFans.com, uploads its first episode in September. It's really interesting to hear when these um, fan sites have uploaded their very first episodes, knowing that they're going to continue it for years and years to come and continue um, their dedication to that. Uh, so it's so cool to hear exactly when they had published it. And their first episode is uploaded in September, I believe. However, if I when I looked it up on Google Podcasts, the only episode that's up is labeled as a second episode with a specific September date, so I assume that the first episode was in the same month. However, I could be wrong. In 2017, Narnia News in a Nutshell is revamped into The Talking Beast, the Narnia podcast, which is still a long-running podcast. I think that they'll be... Um, They'll, they're taking a break for the summer, and they'll be back in October, I believe. And last but not least, and the most recent update as of now, is in 2021, when Narnia Lore begins a YouTube channel named Into the Wardrobe on January 14th. A very successful YouTube channel, and very uh, invigorating, I guess, for Narnian fans who have longed to see a more... Um, 
a YouTube channel stand on its own with a lot more information, with a lot more lore available, and more a bit documentary style, I'd say, and I love the animation, so I'd recommend checking them out as well. Now, that is the timeline for now. If you're interested in seeing the timeline that I created, you can check the link in the description, as I said before. But now let's move on to specific aspects of the timeline, as well as any patterns or um, some instances that I've noticed and I'd, and I'd like to discuss. However, if you have any specific uh, communities in mind on Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, or another social media site that I'm not aware of, please feel free to email me. Um, I'm thinking of making another episode on the Narnian fandom, and I'd love to dig in, uh, maybe with someone who has more experience or can point me towards uh, specific communities that they'd like to highlight. Um, I'd also like to note that these communities are, or these sites are not organized by topic with threads following suit. Instead, there's individual posts with replies and tags underneath, so they are usually much smaller. Um, even within the Narnian fandom, you can't imagine how small it can get. But And they're also associated with younger age groups, such as Gen Z or Millennial, so it's interesting to think about those implications. And I'd bet my money that, um, and not all of course, but most of the fans that are on these sites are um, were introduced to the book series and to just the fandom in general from the movie adaptions as I was um, and that probably speaks to my age but I think it's interesting to see how the community has involved or just to see how people come together over how they've or which adaptions specifically that they have been introduced to um, and that is interesting to me to see uh how I personally have been more drawn to bigger fan sites while some people are more drawn to smaller um, sites where maybe the community is just 10 members on Instagram or maybe on Tumblr. So that is truly interesting to me and maybe that does play a role in how people view the movies or the series or what ideas that they um, view it in or um, what they think of Lewis or anything about his works. I think that's really interesting. I'm not necessarily saying that um, you can develop a narrow-minded view. I think I'm just saying that depending on how diverse a community is or what they are comfortable talking about uh, for the book series or what is on the table to talk about, it can definitely impact a fan um, who's just coming into the community on how they think through the books or the rest of Lewis's works actually. Um, so that is quite interesting to think about um, the implications of younger fan sites versus older fan sites. I wanted to end off this episode with what I think where the fandom is headed for the future. I think based on the pattern of seeing how a rise up of the community after a movie adaption or any other adaption in the past has resulted in a huge wave of fans coming in. As you can see from like the 1980s to the 1990s, um, right after that there was the first um, Into the Wardrobe fandom, so that seemed to be necessitated by the growing community. And then of course after each movie adaption there was a huge wave of fans coming in, 
Actually, if you look on the forum pages for some of the fanzites, you can see the members getting ready to anticipate the huge numbers or droves of fans coming in. Um, they were just ready to, to, to um, introduce and welcome all these members, which I find so, <laughs> so fun. Um, but I just wanted to say that because of this pattern that I noticed, which is pr it's a pretty obvious pattern, I'd say that if Netflix does ever get into building that episodic series and releasing it, I'd say that there will be a very larger number of fans, maybe even more so than from the movies. That is what I predict. And this is basically because I think that a TV series perhaps establishes a more direct connection with fans because it's over multiple seasons um, and fans will have a chance to develop a relationship with the actors or just the brand that the series is selling or what kind of a vibe it's selling. So I definitely think an episodic series will have many more fans drawn into the series over time rather than a movie which may fail in terms of uh, making money and uh, due to that will receive less intention although uh, movies are kind of like a big dramatic um, billboard for fans to come in while I'd say an episodic series is more of like those emails on Spotify sorry the ads on Spotify that are just nagging you to to join it um, but anyway I think that the episodic series will definitely drive many more fans in um, and although, in truth, the fandom is in a bit of a decline since there hasn't been that many fans. A decline in the sense that it's a bit stagnated, I'd say, personally. Um, there's not many more fans coming in all the time. Uh, but I'd still say that there is definitely hope for the fandom. Of course, there's the entire book series to love. There are so many adaptions or whatever type of adaptions your heart could desire. And it's truly incredible that the book series has received so much attention and all the love from fans that it has had over the years, as well as the different types and diverse number of communities that have evolved around it. I'd say the types of communities are just generous. It's, it's just generous to think that there are so many different types and I'd welcome every single one. Um, every type of community on whatever social media site it is on or fan site it is on all of them are special just because that they are welcoming two new members who are just beginning to meet other um, lewis fans or narnia fans so that concludes today's episode um the next episode will be up i think in the next month but thank you for listening i appreciate it and if you have any suggestions or concerns, or maybe some parts of my timeline are a bit wonky or wrong, please feel free to contact me. All right, that's it. See you when I see you.